Hi, I'm Stephen Aspinall. I'm the Chair of the British Association of Sport Rehabilitation Trainers. And welcome to this special Bazrat BGSM podcast. Today we're going to be focused on uh, running rehabilitation um, and running training. And we're going to be speaking to Andy Cornelius. He's one of our graduate sport rehabilitators. Um, he's worked across a number of high-profile clinics. Um, he's worked in uh, professional um, football and the Premiership. Um, and he's worked with hundreds of athletes to help improve um, their running style, their running experience, and obviously help with injury rehabilitation and injury prevention. Welcome, Andy. Hi, Steve. Pleasure to be here. We're going to try and give the clinicians out there listening to this um, and the other people who are working with runners, we're going to try and give them some clinical pearls, some things to actually take away that they can use in their practice. If we were to start off and say, um, you know, how, how do you start off with a, a running assessment? What kind of things might you look for? Could you give us some key points? Yeah, no problem at all. So um, I'm very lucky to work within a, a physiotherapy clinic. So I work out Synergy Physiotherapy in Woking in Surrey, um, where I work with a number of very good physiotherapists. Um, and they will refer through to me once they finish with the manual therapy side of things or if they want me to have a little look at the way that someone's moving or running um, for rehabilitation purposes or for running re-education. Um, so one of the first things we'll always do with an individual is always have a little look and, and actually see how they run so it's one of the things that really interested me with um, running education is that certainly when you deal with somebody who would um, commonly sit behind a desk or get problems sitting behind a desk you'd always be interested to look at their sort of ergonomics in the way that they're sitting on a day-to-day basis um, similarly if they were um, um, playing golf regularly you'd probably want to have a little look and try to make things relevant to their golf movements to, before you send them back to their activities but certainly I, I felt that running um, analysis um, certainly going back a few years um, was always something which was not done a huge amount and people always seem to fail to actually look at that um, that activity despite it being a lot of people's main aggravating factors so um, one of the first things we'll do is certainly um, have a chat with the individual and find out specifically what they're, what they're trying to achieve with their running um, in terms of um, why they're with me and normally obviously it is an injury reason um, try to find out a little bit of history from that see how it came on when it came on whether they're doing anything differently and then obviously we're always interested in actually looking at an individual run so we've first have a look at people in the two dimensions so we'll have a look at them from behind so we'll have a look at um, a video clip from behind and have a look at how their hips are moving in the in the frontal planes and how their pelvis is moving in those planes have a little look at how their canis is moving and so on as well and we'll also have another video clip from the side so we can start to see actually the more sagittal plane movements as well sort of flexing extending and um, postural positions and so on and if needed we the beauty of working with a treadmill is that you can stand very close to an individual and really have a close look at um, how they're creating movements such as hip extension, have a look at how the pelvis is moving, the spine is moving um, and have a little look at it in more detail if we feel that that's relevant. Um, we'll also go through um, what we call our movement screen which uh, we find um, we've developed over a number of years to try and be as specific to runners as possible um, in order to try and highlight any other mobility or, or um, strength deficits that they might have um, uh, as well as any sort of stability issues they have when they transfer from a two-footed activity with two feet on the ground to a single-legged activity such as running. Okay Andy, so um, one of the things we are going to discuss um, a little bit more in, in depth, we, we will kind of try and link into this movement screen and we'll refer back to that so we can give the listeners some specific details. 
But first, before we do that, do you want to give us then some of the very kind of key assessments or exactly what you're looking for and how it is being assessed? Yeah, no problem. So um, one of the first things we'll look at um, is um, something which people are very familiar with, probably, if you've read up on the running education literature out there um, and blogs and so on. But um, overstride is something which I'm sure a lot of um, a lot of the listeners are very um, aware of and um, and can relate to that from a running point of view. Um, but this, there's been some um, question really about what an overstride really is. And traditionally, um, we would have looked at how far the foot is going in front of the centre of mass as someone runs, or as they strike the ground, how far is that foot strike actually in front of the of the centre of mass of the runner? Um, and traditionally, we would look at that and think: obviously, the further in front the foot goes, the more impact in an individual will be taking, meaning that they end up um, absorbing more impact and almost putting putting the brakes on when they're running as well. But nowadays, I think we look more at actually the position of the foot. Um, in relation to the knee the more than necessarily the hip joint which is where we may have looked at in the past and really what we're looking for is if we look at it from the side view again have a little look at that lateral malleolus and actually see where that is positioned in relation to the knee joint above so we should see that the tibia is relatively vertical as you strike the ground rather than actually sloping back towards the body when it hits the ground so the foot's coming down underneath a flexing knee as you hit the ground and obviously the further and further in front that um, that foot is in relation to the axis of the knee above the higher the load that will end up, end up going through a number of different structures up through the lower limb and, and even further sometimes up into the uh, pelvis and lower back as well so some of the common causes that we we really look at for that is is always what we're interested in because a lot of people um, firstly would jump straight on the cadence and that's perfectly fine and there's certainly a lot of very good research out there showing the differences in in foot strike um, position as people increase or decrease their cadence and there's a rule of of 5 to 10 percent or some people sit in the middle of 7.5 percent and that definitely does make a good difference um, with where people strike the ground in relation to their body. Um, personally sort of anecdotally um, I find that this is very difficult for a lot of people to sustain um, even with a lot of practice and and actually the hardest thing I find people struggle with is actually trying to adapt that to different speeds different terrains um, different um, inclines and this type of thing so it is something it's not the first thing I jump on what I'm actually more interested in quite often is um, things such as how well the hip is extending and to see whether they're actually creating that sort of drive back of the leg to push their body forwards or whether their um, position of their trunk is, is correct or whether their centre of mass is too far forward because of a forwards lean um, and also the pelvic tilt can be sort of brought into both of those um, hip extension and the um, posture as well um, because it can be affected um, from both of those um, not moving correctly. What kind of rehabilitation interventions um, and also movement screening would you apply to that particular patient? Yeah, so once we've had a look at them run, obviously, like you say, we'd go on to our movement screen. And as soon as we've highlighted something such as an overstride happening and we notice that the cadence isn't um, that slow loping cadence that you'd normally want to try to correct, then we want to have a little look at how people move from a general basis. And and the first thing that um, we would look at, obviously, was how passively someone would move into a hip extension. Um, Now, there's been some very good research on this and certainly um, Shashin, 
uh, 2000 um, did a very good paper on the relationship between tests such as the Thomas test and, and um, to whether that is relevant for how much someone hip extends when they run um, and there was been shown to be some very poor correlations there so we always want to take it another step further and have a little look at how well they can create an extended hip whilst they're under load so rather than just chasing the passive range of movement that may exist around for the hip extension around the front of the hip we're always interested in moving quickly on to some of the more um, split squat variations so one foot in front of the other a nice wide long stride and then with a good posture good pelvic position get them loading that back leg by just bringing the back knee down towards the floor and even adding load if needed I quite often like getting people to put their front foot on a step as well because that quite often gets a bit more load on that back leg and all the time trying to keep that back hip in an extended position even as you're adding um, some load normally just body weight but sometimes a little bit of external load is necessary um, and then you can even move into some more sprinting start positions we talk a lot about the triple extension so the triple extension is the um, um, concurrent extension of the hip joint the knee joint and the ankle to go into plantar flexion as someone extends the leg back behind them and then pushes them forwards so you can then maybe try to recreate that with some mat sliding exercises so standing on one leg and sliding a mat back behind or even using a trx device and getting someone pushing themselves through um, and once we're happy that the, the movement is nice and stable and, and it's something which um, they could start to bring into their running, we could quite often cue them. And, and I know um, there's a number of different cues that people use. Um, personally, the ones I like are things such as push the ground back behind you as you're running or make sure the knee just gets that extra inch behind the hip when you're running as well. And, and that quite often immediately makes people start to extend that hip into a much more um, greater range of movement. Um, what are the, some of the other kind of key um, details you might spot when you're doing an assessment? Yeah, so looking more from the rear view, um, another thing that's been very well researched is step width. Um, and this is um, obviously looking at a number of different structures, but certainly... Um, uh, Richard Willey um, in 2014 and, and Ivan, um, Richard Willey with Irene Davis in 2011 had a look at um, the effects of uh, contralateral pelvic drops. So what I mean by that is as you're weight bearing, how um, does the pelvis stay relatively level or does it drop on the non-weight bearing side? Um, and they've done some great research in correcting this and, um, and how um, that can affect people's adduction of the hip or fem if the femur stays still, the, the drop of the pelvis, so it's still the adduction of the hip um, and that's something which certainly I'm interested in trying to correct in the long term is someone is coming to me with um, issues such as an ITB problem um, or medial tibial stress problems that type of thing where um, move, loading too much or poorly loading into the more frontal plane through the hip joint um, can sometimes cause that chain reaction further down into the, into the ankle and the foot as well. Um, now, some of the research has also highlighted, and particularly one of the papers which people um, recite on a number of times is the Richard Brindle paper in 2014, which showed that increasing stride width was effective in unloading a number of structures. But um, I think it also highlights some, somewhere that we have to be a little bit cautious because it also showed that it increased, um, increasing step width increased knee internal rotation. And I know on a number of papers that has been shown to um, be the 
case or even certainly the, the knee internal rotation moment has been shown to increase. So it's something which, again, we need to back up with some good exercise intervention and not just um, not just immediately jump on getting someone running with a wider stride. Can you talk me through some of the interventions you might use? Yeah, so um, again, Richard Williams has done some great work on this. Um, um, but the sort of simple exercise progression that I might use is um, trying to correct, um, again, if we work in sort of rule of threes like we did before, um, even maybe contralateral pelvic drop or the excessive pelvic rotation that might create that um, excessive step width um, and with a rela- um, related hip rotation as well that happens when someone rotates from the pelvis. So I'm interested to see whether someone can stand on a single leg and, and move in the frontal plane through the hip, so move as in dropping one hip lower and then raising it up initially. So it almost sort of a similar sense in how we created the hip extension passively beforehand just to see how good someone's coordination is there or whether they have a drop um, happen. Um, It's a little bit more uncontrolled. And then once we're happy that is the case, we can move on to the more single leg squat variations. So getting someone standing on one leg, trying to maintain that nice sort of relatively level pelvis as they as they move and, and load into that hip as they go down to a single leg squat. And then maybe even put in maybe a bit of an, an external um, force into that. So get them um, doing a single leg squat with maybe the other foot reaching me, um, immediately across the outwards towards the, um, the non-weight bearing side and doing a small toe touch or again some of the stuff that um, Richard Williams was great was pushing the other knee out against the wall or something to try to get someone to uh, control that rotation through the knee the hip and the pelvis all at one time and not let um, that movement become excessive and then again once we found that they can achieve those movements quite nicely the sort of cues that we would go on to would be um, things like the one that my favorite is, is trying to get people to not let their knees brush together so that they're actually coming down a little bit more underneath each hip um, and or maybe sort of pushing the knees slightly outwards as they run as well to try to get that little bit um, of a wider step width as they're running. So are there any other clinical pearls that you want to share with the listeners, things that they can use in practice? Yeah, well, the other one which I feel is really worth talking about, and it's something which is very difficult to study, but it's a kind of a combination of a few different things and certainly something that I'm really keen at looking at. And that's the combination of being able to keep a stable pelvis, and that is stable not just in the frontal plane that we're talking a moment ago with the pelvic drop um, that might happen, but also in the more transverse plane, so the rotational plane of the pelvis. Um, and couple that together with a good hip mobility. So it's not just the, um, one or the other, but quite often we find that when people have poor hip mobility, they also have poor um, hip uh, pelvic stability which can quite often um, create that poor hip mobility and vice versa when someone has poor pelvic stability quite often that can mean that their hip joint isn't moving in the way that we want it to um, and Mo Farah is a brilliant example of this and I know people use Mo Farah a lot as an example and I do the same in that um, because when you have a look at him run you'll see that this um, incredible range of hip um, flexion and extension that's happening as he propels himself forwards but in, actually you look at the pelvic it's really nice sort of it's you know it's not solid it's not um, not moving at all it's controlling movement it's really going with the uh, with the movement of the hip and not becoming excessive or rotating or, or dropping in any way um, but again the, the combination of these two things is quite hard to study but so it's something that we tend to work more away from the treadmill rather than just re-educate someone's running with it
So we'll do that with, um, again, with a nice sort of exercise progression. And this can, um, again, the relevance of this can show up in, in a previous movement screen that you've done with someone looking at someone's dynamic stability and, and mobility of the hip. But something like going through a sort of a lunge walk. So one lunge, nice deep dip down, then coming out of that lunge into the next and just seeing how well they control that pelvis um, as they go into that flex position. And then you can make that a little bit more dynamic as well and move into maybe some hopping drills to try to make sure, again, that they can create that, um, that nice um, stable pelvis as they move and then starting to add some of the hip flexion extension back into it with the impacts of going into some bounding drills with a hold in between um, and really trying to work quite dynamically with the clients and they love that they love being able to actually uh, to work quite actively in that respect obviously um, the uh, the normal sort of hip hitching drills and the single leg squat like I mentioned before are, are really relevant for people but um, I know that clients definitely love it when they start to go on to the more active sort of bounding hopping type drills because they really feel they're making a big difference in um, not just their stability and strength but also um, some of that plyometric ability as well which obviously always feel is key and when you have a look at an elite runner um, it's probably one of the key reasons why they suddenly make it look so easy as they spring along the ground as well. That's really interesting um, I like the overall approach as well it really does develop a patient's or an athlete's physical literacy as well so it gives them a wide variety of kind of movement options which I think is always healthy. Um, well that's been Absolutely excellent, Andy. Um, thank you very okay. much for that. Um, I hope no the BGSM listeners will have enjoyed it as much as I have. So thank you for that. No problem. It's been uh, a pleasure to be here. And if anyone would like to learn a bit more about uh, running or attend some running workshops, um, the Basrat uh, Annual Symposium is at the Etihad uh, Stadium in Manchester on Friday the 20th of November. And we're going to have a number of running workshops there as well as some of the UK's leading um, sports physiotherapists and sports medics um, and a number of the leading clinicians from the English Institute of Sport. It's going to be a very exciting day. Have a look at the Bazrat website for more details. Um, and thank you very much for all the BGSM listeners. Um, and I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. <laughs>